You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. All right, welcome to Sacred Collective. It's our first one of 2019. I don't know about you guys, but 2018 went by super fast. But we're back at it. Um, what episode is this? Like 21, 22? I can pull it up. I don't have it up here right it's now. It's fine. That's, I can't believe we got 20-some episodes under our belt. Um, thanks for everyone who is here and then who's going to download it and listen. So that'll be exciting. Uh, today we got two guests. Um, they are Justin Odland. And if you know anything about what? me, that's my brother. Um, round of applause. Well, maybe not a round of applause because it'll be snaps. Oh, oh claps. <laughs> and we have Troy Wilson. And uh, I actually know both of them um, through Bethel, too. Bethel Seminary. We went there. I think and everyone, your brother through your parents. And, yeah, yeah. and my brother through my parents. <laughs> yeah. My whole life. <laughs> don't, don't I know that? Um, so, yeah, we... We've had some we've had some corrective criticism, positive criticism that we can maybe sound like we're in a vacuum because a lot of us here who kind of come um, all the time are more progressive, more liberal. Um, but we want it to be a safe place or sacred place for everyone who have differing ideas. And so I reached out to my brother because we are brother, we're blood, but we have sometimes very similar theological views that sometimes. Not so similar. So, a couple of us in our group here at the collective thought it would be great. Why don't we interview Justin? And then Justin reached out to Troy as well. And we're going to get started. And I have some questions that I have prepared. If we don't have to stick with that, I know a couple of others have some questions too. And we'll see where we go from there. Um, if we want to pick it up at another time too, because we've had a couple episodes where it went like two hours. Um, anyway, so. I'm going to turn it over to Justin first, kind of just, this is a time to plug yourself, talk about yourself, where you're at, all that stuff, and then we'll go to Troy after that. All right, well, I'm Justin Adlin, thanks for having me, and as Brian said, I'm his brother, so I'm excited to be here, be part of the group, and uh, currently I am working at Central Baptist Church as the children and family pastor there. Primarily got stuck working with the infants through sixth grade, so it's lots of fun from diapers to preteens and all the pubescent stuff that goes with that. So it's a lot of fun. It's exciting. It's a wide range. Occasionally parents get involved. So pretty excited to be there. Um, Went to Central High School and always kind of had jobs in the Midway area and working with recovery, people coming out of recovery. um, It's in in St. Paul. Yeah, St. Paul. So just good to be kind of in that that neighborhood and just uh, it's kind of where my heart is. So happy to be working there. Cool. Cool. Want to talk about your religious background? Oh, where you thanks, Brian. Growing up and all that jazz. Uh, we grew up going to, uh, Brian's probably stated, but we grew up at Somebody's of God going to Summit Avenue. And overall, I think for me, the experience there was good, except in high school, I ended up realizing a lot of their outreach was toward the Grand Avenue side versus the Portland side or like the Midway Frogtown area side. Rich, and that kind of always kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, people are people, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. let's like invite everybody. So that kind of um, <clears throat> made me pursue more of an undergraduate degree in urban ministry and just kind of reaching out to, uh, to I guess, that population in a sense. But also at the same time, kind of realizing that, you know what, it doesn't really matter 
there, there's visible disparities that we can see a lot of times in like an urban setting, just by the context of that. But it's the same crap that we're dealing with in the suburbs. And so, trying to get the suburban people to realize, hey, you're you have crap. You're just hiding it. You know what I mean? And we all kind of have these issues, and it's better to share our issues and our stories and kind of help each other out in that sense and, and find healing with people who have gone through other things. So went to North Central Bible College um, for urban ministries and then um, didn't really think too much of uh, And then that actually led to my job working at Model Cities with community development and um, chemical dispensation. Um, chemical dependency and then never thought too much about going to seminary but went through a kind of a bad divorce um, unexpected divorce and then that's when Brian was tempting me in both ways to either go to strip clubs or go to seminary so yeah so there was you right into the yeah, podcast <laughs> There was just a lot of, like, uh, kind of, I guess, for me, I always explain seminary not so much as academics for me here, deconstruction of faith, but kind of like one hand holding on to God and then one hand also being like, why me, like, what's going on type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was just healing in a sense of just, again, hearing other people's and finding out, hey, here at seminary there's even people who've gone through divorces or who have struggled with drugs or alcohol and kind of hearing their stories and just seeing how God has, like, still use them and that um i guess my my thing was i always thought um especially in the faith tradition we grew up in hey if you were divorced you weren't even allowed to be a deacon or like an usher really and that's changed from what i've heard now but i just remember thinking boy that's pretty crazy like if god can forgive anybody like why are you holding this over me you know or and, and then so that's i could keep going on and on but well you met a special someone at seminary too I met Kayleen at seminary. <laughs> He's not talking about. No, me. I know that. But <laughs> Kayleen is uh, was the roommate of my wife, who I met at seminary. And so for three years, Brian's living in my basement and um, inviting me to come meet his friends. And I'm upstairs, kind of lamenting. At a bar. Yeah, kind of like lamenting to the Lord, saying, "All right, God, if you're really good, this is the kind of woman I want." Because I think they pretty much suck and. They just like to go party and do all this kind of stuff. But here, Krista was in my basement for three years and hearing all my my shenanigans and my, um, I guess, my dark side and my past and all that kind of stuff through Brian. And so she heard my whole story without me having to share it and found me lovable. And You're that welcome. Was, that was very healing to, to have that happen. And so it all turned out okay. Cool. Yep. Thanks, Brian. Also, we're starting a GoFundMe for uh, strip club seminary. That was, that yeah, was yeah, really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like strip club seminary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe one. A little strippers too. Yeah. 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 Even yeah. David thinks it's funny. Troy, <laughs> so, you're up. Sounds like a weird. Number. Hello, everybody. I'm Troy Wilson, and uh, I know quite a few people here. Some of it, like um, he said, uh, I went to school at the Bethel Seminary back in 2012. Is when I graduated from there. But I also went to North Central. Uh, with a couple people here, and, and Justin's also a, a North Central alum. I'm a community pastor at Central Baptist Church, and that entails uh, doing a lot of things with the community, community outreach, prison ministry. Um, I sometimes take on preaching responsibilities, teach Bible studies, and other ministry classes like that. So that's who I am. And I, I wish I had a, a long list of things to add about my spectacular self, uh, like everybody else probably here does. But 
I guess I don't have that much uh, at the moment. I'm kind of under the weather, so my voice might sound a little, uh, a little deeper than normal. I apologize. <laughs> it's kind of sexy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I forgot to do roll call. Uh, you guys don't have to do it since you just did. So I'm going to start. Let's do this. Uh, I'm Brian. I'm Keelan. Amanda. And we have Ava. If you hear a little voice or a little fake laugh. That's our kid. <laughs> <laughs> Eric's here. Angela. Joshua. Caleb. Um, so I have questions. We can go off of them. So I have some, but then Eric, you texted some to the group too. I don't know if you have that still handy. Um, we could always... I do have my phone handy. We could do that. What? We have our phone handies. Um, so we could do that too. The old phone um, handy. <laughs> So I'll just throw one out. You can say how little or as much as you want, or you don't have to if you want. And then, Eric, if you want to, I would say maybe I'll ask one, and then if you want to ask one too, kind of like a lot of us here are have dealt with like deconstruction. I know that's like a buzzword, but I know I've deconstructed not like my faith. But certain aspects of my faith to, you know, I grew up in Sons of God, like Justin said, and now I'm United Church of Christ and in their discernment process for pastoral work. Um, and I went from conservative Christianity to mainline liberal Protestantism. So, you know, we're all on, on a different spectrum here. Some of us believe in God. Some of us don't. Some of us are all over the place. So that's kind of where we're at religiously. But so I'm going to. This is going to get right to a theological question. So, whoever wants to go first, go for it. How do you view the Bible? Is it inerrant, infallible, authoritative? Explain. Question. That's a basic, like, seminary 101 question. Oh, is this for anybody? Or well, I want both of you to answer yeah. if you want to, but mm-hmm. I don't care who goes first. So. Actually, it's a, it's a good question. It, it was something that always used to get under my skin because I felt that there were obvious... Uh, things in the the Bible that some people say are inconsistent. I didn't always find an inconsistency there, uh, but I did find uh, some things were there that weren't meant for uh, errancy, for truth, right? And so, for example, just the if you take the Synoptic Gospels and the historical chronology of them, how they are, are misplaced and used in different ways because the author had access to different resources, perhaps. And so... My idea, when I was at Bethel, there was a, a professor who said, you know, it's either a book of fables, or it's either uh, uh, inerrant, or it is uh, divinely inspired. Uh, I go with the last one, that it is, uh, the Bible is inspired by the Spirit, but it's not inerrant. That's Troy talking, by the way, sorry. Yeah, maybe say who, who's saying what. Can I ask you a quick follow-up? Yes. Um, sure. Would um, the, like the historicity of it? Do you feel like the uh, if if it is historic or if it's not? Do you feel like those uh, those stories and those characters and those concepts would would have like more or less potency to them just because of their historical accuracy? Good question. That's, that's a great question. Definitely not for me, uh-huh. uh, but I do know people who have been affected by mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And so one of the reasons why I went to, uh, to seminary is I wanted to work on a PhD so I could teach biblical studies, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, the things that I've done with research and with professors who've got their PhDs and stuff like that, I was happy to learn 
from people who are outside of the margins, like Bart Ehrman. Oh, sure. Uh, and, and Bart Ehrman might have been somebody who was affected by his own research. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, yeah. but with, say just slightly, <laughs> but, but with the research that he's done and things that he's pulled out, and then you run into guys at seminary like, at Bethel, like Torsten and, and other people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there, there are some things that you discover, for example, like First uh, and Second Peter aren't first century documents, for example. Uh, most New Testament scholars can agree to something like that, but that doesn't affect how I read First or Second mm-hmm. Peter at yeah. all. And so if it's divinely inspired, uh, I'm not there for the facts uh, that, that connect the dots chronologically. Mm-hmm. I'm there to uh, experience revelation with the Spirit yeah. and to experience theology. Mm-hmm. So it's less a history book to you and more uh, maybe lessons and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. Either, sure. Yeah. Uh, th- there's some aspects to it that are history books. Like one of his questions I read online was, you know, what book do you like the most? And mine would be Daniel, and, and Daniel would be because of his historical mm-hmm. prophetic cool. work, right? Mm-hmm. And all the kingdoms that come in the statue, the name that right. come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, love it. Uh, and, and I love the intertestamental period that's called the Apocrypha that deals with the Maccabees. That's mm-hmm. definitely historical. Kings, Chronicles, and things like that that's historical. When you get to the New Testament, you get to what I would deem as theological documents more than I would historical documents. Oh, cool. That's where I find Very cool. That is really deep. Oh, that's thanks. Good. I don't know if I really think that deep about that. Maybe I do, and I just don't know how to like articulate it as well. But I mean, I think that the whole the whole Bible. One of the I can't. I don't remember the verse, but in Revelation, it it talks about the whole Word of God. So it doesn't separate the Old and the New Testament. So in that sense, I just think of the Bible as just one solid document that's divinely inspired by God. And so, like, one of the definitions of invaluable is never failing, and it's always effective. And so I think that the Word of God is always effective. And I think especially, too, if you read it in, like, Hebrew or Greek or some of the, like, original texts, you would find across the board on that 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 has far more or less inaccuracies in it than even some of our common, um, like, biographies today or autobiographies today. Um, where I think a lot of people sometimes have hiccups or hang-ups is, well, it says this in this translation and that translation, and one of the stories I always kind of like or to, to refer to is when Jesus is questioning Peter about, you know, after Peter denied Jesus, and he's making a fish pie for all these people, and he's basically asking Peter, do you love me? You know, he says, are you sure you love me? He asks him three times, and three times Peter says, of course I love you. And so in English, it's always like, well, yeah, do you love me? I love you. And, and really, Jesus is saying, hey, I love you, Peter, unconditionally. Do you love me unconditionally back? And the first time he says, you know, that I love you as a friend. And then the second time he's telling him, well, I, lo- I love you, you know, as a brother. I love you a little bit. De-. And so the third time, finally, he's like, I do love you unconditionally. Mm-hmm. And then the whole part where Jesus is like, well, feed my sheep. It's mm-hmm. more like, he says that to him three times, but it's more like, well, gather my sheep. Mm-hmm. You know, love my sheep. Die for my sheep. Like putting your your view of God and humanity aside to love your neighbor to the point that you would actually die for him, mm. and I think that speaks a lot more powerful. I know I have a hard time doing that. The only person in this room I probably would die for is my brother, mm-hmm. you know. And then it'd be even Amanda because I love you guys, but I don't know you guys. Mm-hmm. And when sure, you sure. know somebody fully, whether you agree with all of them or not, you're going to be willing to sacrifice yourself for them. And I think that's why the whole crucifixion and Jesus coming is a beautiful story because mm. he sees all of us he knows our secret thoughts and he was willing to 
to love us to the point of death. Mm-hmm. Justin's a good Christian. If he can die for his brother, I sometimes want to kill mine. He kind of wants to kill me sometimes, too, let's be honest. I think one, one thing I would ask about that, um, how Scripture was formed, the Council of Nicaea, mm-hmm. you know, um, you read my mind. does that mm-hmm. happen to bother you? Because, I mean, there's so many books that almost made it that didn't, that would have been scripture. Ooh. And so many books that did make it, like Revelation, which barely made it, yeah. you know, um, that people find so much value in. I don't think if we swapped the books out, people would find any less value. Right. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm going to say, this is Troy speaking, I'm going to say I have to agree with you 100%. And so, uh, being a lover of biblical studies and having a desire to teach it, uh, one of the things that I dug into was the extra biblical books, right? Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is what Bart Ehrman specializes in, mm-hmm. lost books and things like that. Uh, two of them that almost made it in just so happened to be two of my favorites, Shepherd of Hermas and, and Wisdom of Sirach. Uh, Wisdom of Sirach is in the Apocrypha, the yeah. Shepherd of Hermas. Well, I, I grew up Catholic, so I, I actually, we do the yeah, Apocrypha. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember when we all had Apocryphas in our living room yeah. back when this building was In built. my Bible, it has the Apocrypha in it. Yeah, yeah. I collect old Bibles from the 1800s and 1700s, and they all have the Apocrypha. You mm-hmm. sneak into the seminary yeah. basement and take all those ones they have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> uh, and, and to get back to your, to your question, like... Uh, so let's take the word canon and, and what the word canon means. The word canon means measuring rod, right? And so they allegedly measured these books, right? And when I read through the Bible uh, and, and then I think of myself politically, you know, how do I feel about a council making decisions for me many, 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 many years down the road, right? Uh, we have a doctor at North Central uh, named Richard Shaka uh, who would say something like, who said the canon's ever closed, Right. Uh, if the canon is closed and the work of the Spirit just stopped right there, and I don't believe that the work of the Spirit stopped at a council, right? And so with that being said, uh, as some of the books that you could factor in and factor out, because I believe that it's divinely inspired, I would believe that it would require divine revelation or inspiration uh, in order for me to get life from that text. Which, by the way, I do. That's why I love those books. But on the other hand, I know people who read the Bible who get absolutely nothing from the Bible. It's an ancient document to them. They fall asleep. They're going to be snoring soon. They're going to be drooling. It put them to sleep. And, and so if I say, well, why does that inspire me, but it doesn't inspire them? And it could be because uh, that when you, uh, and when you gaze upon the books to read them and engage them, that there is an interaction between humanity and the spirit in what's written. And uh, do I think that if other books were added in there, uh, would you get the same results? If it were the same spirit, yes. Uh, just reading those other books uh, off the top of my mind and being a lover of them, I would have to say yes, I think that you would get the same thing. It appears that what we have in the New Testament, and I'm just going to say New Testament here, is that they were seeking for something that was more Christological. Uh, and so the Shepherd of Hermas uh, isn't that Christological, even though it, it, it for, uh, talks about the Trinity to some degree. Uh, the book of James was put down by who? Well, by Martin Luther, right? Uh, he calls it a, a, a straw epistle or something like that and thought it should be out of the canon. Uh, well, why? Because it's less Christological as well. Um, but I think that those other books would have helped. I don't think that the canon's closed. I think that was a decision of, of religious gathering that didn't include yeah. our interest in the 21st because, century. I mean, the canon definitely turned Christianity to what it was. Yeah. Before that, it was a bunch of other things. Yes, you know, mm-hmm. and so the canon definitely focused Christianity and made it, you know, 
what it is today yes. because of those books. Yeah, you know. It's interesting to me that you're using terms like uh, divinely inspired and, and, and uh, you know, giving giving so much weight, which I'm, I'm not even commenting on the validity of that. I'm just saying it's interesting that you use terms like divinely inspired, but then at the same time, you're pragmatic, it, it sounds like, in your, in your approach to, to what quote-unquote should or should not be there. Mm-hmm. You're, you're open to uh, perhaps like books that are not in the canon, mm-hmm. to, to use the consistent vocabulary here. To, to, to those books maybe being divinely inspired mm-hmm. whereas I feel like and I, 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 I know that uh, I'll, I'll use the term Northern Baptist or just Baptist versus I was raised Southern Baptist uh-huh. which I know is a different school of thought altogether sure. but uh, the majority of my direct influences theologically growing up and in, in when I was a kid uh, would say no like the Council of Nicaea was like was God like pulling the strings on these people and making this Perfect work be assembled that was exclusively the only divinely inspired, you know, books right. or whatever. So it's, it's just interesting to me that, that you use terms like divinely inspired, but at the same time you're saying, well, I still, you know, perhaps some of these non canonical books are still, sure, are still valid, I guess. Yeah, so. yeah. And so you know, I you know, I like to be known for the person uh, who who is being extremely objective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think one of the reasons why is because there's so many um, uh, different. Um, subjects or topics that we can talk about that I fall in the middle and I don't fall extreme on one side. And I say that cautiously because uh, if you talk to me long enough, you might hear me fall extreme on mm-hmm. one side. Um, but I've been to extremes. Uh, one of the things that led me to the to the Bible when I was young was the Nation of Islam. Uh, my mom was a follower of Malcolm X. Uh, mm-hmm. We believed in what's called black nationalism. Uh, black nationalism was extreme. I, I graduated from those teachings when I was young to the teachings of Louis Farrakhan, and I read and studied and learned the Quran. And so, what I like to do is I like to make an attempt at, at, at presenting uh, my opinion the best that I can, uh, but not throwing out some things that could be qualitatively used and real from another perspective. Okay. Besides the Judeo-Christian overlap, do you think there's anything "quote unquote" divine in the Quran? Yes. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? Certainly. I think. <clears throat> well, when it comes to the Quran, I, uh, if I were to read the Book of Joshua right now, okay, and uh, if I was reading the Book of Joshua and I said that God, God told me to go and wipe out a people, mm-hmm. right, or, or to oppress another people, or to create genocide, what I would be doing is I would take Joshua out of context, okay, mm-hmm. and I'd be applying that context mm-hmm. to today. Uh, slave owners of African Americans did that when they applied the American institution of slavery, right? Mm-hmm. They took scripture out of context, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the Quran does have uh, divine inspiration, but it doesn't mean that uh, the divine inspiration is used in the right way. I have many Muslim friends uh, uh, who are, who like myself, don't believe in any kind of type of violence, uh, who want to make a living for their family, uh, and, and they would never look at the Quran in its context of Muhammad, the historical aspect, in fact, the historical aspect of, of the Quran is, is not bad at all because it goes over the journeys of Muhammad and the wars that he had between Mecca and Medina, right? Okay. Uh, and, and in doing that, I feel like it's telling truth about its, its historical context, right? And the divine inspiration may come in from how it's informing its people in that time to live. Mm. Uh, it gets corrupted, 
-hmm. When we take the people and the word that was given to those people mm -hmm. by the prophets at that time, right, right. and we apply it today, right. uh, the of, way that it was applied then, just like we used to do that with the Bible. Right, Some right, people right. still do that with mm -hmm. the Bible. So it's kind mm -hmm. of hermeneutical uh, discretion, I guess. Yes, to a degree. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything? What do you think, Troy or Justin, um, <clears throat> if someone says that like they have an affinity, they like the Bible, they think it's authoritative, and that's about as far as they can go with it? Can I, can I, like, Go for it, John. Okay. Clarify that? Yes. What do you, I guess, Brian, like all of you, what do you think of when you say authoritative? Because that could mean a lot of different That's things. Good yeah. Good point. And, and I, should, I was kind of sneaky with that question because. <laughs> gotcha. 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 <laughs> Eric, you, you. No, um, I believe that for me, I believe that I can't do the inerrancy and infallibility. I was raised with that in the church. Same. And and at college, and it just didn't make sense to me. Like, and I'm not. I never took Greek or Hebrew, but just it was. It never sat right in my gut, my soul, what in my heart, whatever you want to say. I do think the Bible's authoritative, and I've I've talked at Revolution. You know, I preached on that. I preached in my you know other UCC churches where I think not all the stories in the Bible are true, and I don't think they have to be true. I think that they're a message of something like the feeding of the 5,000. Did it really mm -hmm. happen? It could have. It might not have. But there's a deeper message right. to it or whatever you want. I, for me, I think... So you're just to clarify, you're saying it might not be historically, literally true, but there are truths in the story. Yes. Mm -hmm. okay. So, and I think for me, and we can all talk about this or, or not, but I was kind of saying what you, Troy, and Justin were going to think. I personally, like authoritative to me, and everyone can think of authority in a different way. But to me, authoritative means I believe the Bible has some sort of authority, has some sort of truth in it. I'm not going to say it necessarily is ultimate truth to people. But for me personally, as someone who has a, has a belief in God and Jesus, maybe not the same as a lot of people, but I think the Bible's authoritative because I think what Eric was saying is there's truth in scripture without necessarily mm -hmm. being historically 100% right. factual. It's funny, yeah. we, you and I kind of had a run uh, when, we were, when we were filling in for Jay, yeah. uh, preaching sermons at Revolution, you, you and I had a run where we, off mic, you know, it's kind of a crossover plug, but off mic we were discussing this a lot and then so it bled into, into our talks at Revolution about how it at the end of the day, and this is kind of what I opened up with asking you about, Troy, is, is like at the end of the day, does it like does it affect how I treat people? Does it affect how I live my life if this historically, factually happened exactly like this? Or, or does it affect me more so the lesson that I take away from it? To me, the word myth or fable isn't a, a negative word at all. And I'll go ahead and say that I, I highly doubt and don't care about the Bible being factual. I, it doesn't really matter. Like, right. It's like if I found out that none of this is true, does that affect the lessons that I take away from it and how, it, how I learn to love people? You know, and, and so right. I, th I think, Brian, that's kind of the direction that you're going And, and I like that direction as well. Um, if, uh, for example, uh, we know that Job is a, a, an actual story, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, and, and But the message that comes from Job is one of the loudest messages that comes out of the Old Testament that mm -hmm. you and I are going to struggle with every day. 
is how do we how do we answer that we believe in the uh, sovereign deity, but that we still suffer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's a huge uh, message, even though the story is a tale, a, a confessed tale, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I would have to agree with that. I, I want to come uh, circle back around to the authoritative uh, part. Uh, I, I appreciate uh, you you saying there's many different spins that you can put on authoritative yeah. and what's authoritative. And, and if you don't mind, I, I'm actually going to circle back around to my Quran comments uh, to work with that just for a second. Um, uh, going back to the Quran and, and being uh, divinely inspired and saying that it was at a time for people at a place and where they were at. That time and that place where they were at was, was polytheism versus monotheism. Uh, that's what the whole Quran is about. And um, the people were practicing polytheism, and, and there was a shift. There was a God that says, I'm the only God. This is who I am. It's actually identical uh, to Joshua and Deuteronomy and the Exodus and the law, because when the law of the people come out, they face polytheism. And in the book of Joshua, what do we do? Unlike the Quran, we have to wipe everybody out, right? I, I, it, the Quran's actually got nothing on Joshua. <laughs> I want to make sure you guys out there understand that. It, it's, it's, it's a bloodbath. All right, but what makes the Bible uh, authoritative for me, uh, unlike any other book that's inspired in any other way, is its Christology. Is what was accomplished in Christ, right? And so, what makes that, uh, what brings me that authoritative word, isn't law, which is where you would stop with the Old Testament and where you would stop with the Quran, right? Even Sharia law, same thing. You can compare the laws. They're almost identical. (laughs) But the law of grace, right? And in the law of grace, I find truth, but very similar to Paul, I don't find what I would call objective truth. And so I find enough truth in there for for me for it to be authoritative to the law of love, right? But not to the the law of, of controlling me as though... Uh, um, the word the word Islam, and I'm not taking a shot at Islam here at all, but it means slave slave to God, mm-hmm. uh, slave to Allah, right? And it doesn't make me feel that way at all. Uh, if uh, I believe it's authoritative, and I believe that if I transgress it, uh, I'm forgiven. I think that the law of grace that comes from there allows me to be fully human, and so it is. Uh, it, it 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 liberates me. Uh, and, and allowing me to be who I am in Christ. And so in that, uh, I would find it authoritative, but I would still put a little twist on the word authoritative. Yeah. I'm really glad that you, what's your name again? Eric. Eric, I'm yeah. glad that you brought that up on what you mean by authoritative. That should be flushed out better. Sorry, my bad. No. <laughs> well, no I think just, it's there's a, multiple meanings to authoritative. Yeah, yeah so. definitely, because I think it can mean, kind of like what both of you are saying, is that there, it has like some... <clears throat> some deep universal truths that are that are you know powerful and and useful and important for how to live a full life but you could also have an author you know like authoritarian type view of authoritative like Mm -hmm. if you could say the bible is authoritative in that it's an authoritarian way to control, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a very that's different like impressive. Yeah, that's yeah. a very that different view of seeing something used that way. Oh yeah, but I don't think 
that was the intent. But that's not the intent, I don't think, of God for it to come across that way. Right. But because humanity, myself included, we really, like, I joke with my wife a lot and I say, you know what, Krista? If the rest of the world was more like us, it'd be a better place. <laughs> but, but you know what? That's totally true. And that's me stepping in and breaking the first commandment and creating God in my own image. Because if everybody else acted like me, it'd be a better place. Right. You know well, what I mean? I, could, you, could you, in a rough way, kind of boil down every type of human war, sure. violent interaction absolutely. to that? Absolutely. Like, these people aren't like me, so I'm going to destroy them. Sure, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. we do it, I mean, oh, we, yeah. we do it, and obviously we can see that with war, for the, for the most part. Um, we definitely see that with difference in politics. But, I mean, even if we can still be friends after that, we do it, you know, you're going to do that with your wife, you're going to do that with your husband, you're going to, like, fully, you know, you know what I mean? Like, there's definitely things I know Brian does not like about Amanda. You've told Whoa, me. Easy. <laughs> Whoa, easy. this guy real? Like about my wife, and I've told her. But you know what? That doesn't mean I have to agree a hundred percent with her to still fully love her. Oh, I'm sleeping but on we're kind of, we're, tonight. We're, we're, we're in a culture right now that I feel personally. If you don't agree with me a hundred percent, you don't love me. Oh, it's, you don't accept yeah. me. And it, it's, it's both sides. Both sides of mm-hmm. whatever the topic is, and it's just like gave me with the chainsaw. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's oh, the, devi- the divisiveness and polarization it's and like crazy. just yeah, like if you're not like me, you're my enemy. Yeah, yeah. we've talked about this before. It's the old German expression that says, "If you believe what I believe, you can be my brother. If not, I'll bash your head in." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's creepy that that's an old German expression. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's those crazy. I, that's what I see all the time. Even working with like the clients that I work with, so I run a food shelf and a feeding program. And people from the suburbs come in all the time and say, if you did it like this, it'd be better. Yeah. And it's like, you're not working with the same clients. So we have, we have people who come in to our site and they're like, mm, you're doing a pretty shitty job. You're not doing very good. Your food joke doesn't look like ours. Right. And we're like, uh, our clients don't look like yours either. Right. And so most people who run organizations like ours, then this is going to be a shot across the bow, but are rich white women from the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they come into the inner city setting and they see that we don't have a food shelf that does, it doesn't look like Whole Foods and they're like I wouldn't feel comfortable shopping here. It's like right. no shit this isn't for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like yeah. for example my sister had, did a uh, like a ministry event for Christmas gifts in oh, Woodbury. Yeah, this is interesting. And um, they had a ton of Target gift cards because everyone brought kind of what they would want. And all these folks they went to serve said we don't shop at Target. That's not for us. That's, that's a white where, person's store. Where are the Walmart cards? Yeah, where are the Walmart mm-hmm. cards? We don't it's shop there. And so they were like, oh, we don't have any. We, we just have Target cards, and mm-hmm. people wouldn't even take them. Mm-hmm. You know, just because they're like, that's not a store for me. It's not a place I feel comfortable. Right. And so the way our food shelf looks isn't, it's not perfect. We just right. do the best we can at the space we have. And so we're not a shop as you choose model. Someone brings a cart out of food, and you can choose from the cart what you'd like to take. And it, that's kind of how ours works. But other food shelves look down on us because we don't look like them. And it's like we're doing the same – we're on the same team here. Right. But they treat us like shit because right. they're like, you're not doing it the right way. Right. And it's like yeah. if, you, if you just hung out here for a couple of weeks and saw the kind of what we do – like we have clients who don't have refrigerators. We have clients who the only thing they can cook with is a microwave. We have clients who are completely homeless. So what are they going to do with fresh produce? Yeah. They don't have a yeah. freezer to keep meat. Right. They can't. Yeah. It's summertime. Right. What are you going to do? You get a raw potato. What are you going to do? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we have clients who are like, I don't even have a can opener. 
So what you put on the cart, it needs to be a pop top. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and I mean, one thing that I suggested is that we do like a can opener drive. Right. So we can at least, if someone doesn't even have a can opener, we can be like, here, please take this can op- like can opener mm-hmm. so we can give you more food. Right. But like the limitations are so different. And people mm-hmm. treat humanitarian work and justice work like it's a, like it's a franchise. Right. It's like, yeah. look what we did in our community and it yeah. works. So we're just going to. Force it in as hard as we can yeah, and be like, if you the do the same thing here. square peg in the round it's hole. Like, it's like when yeah. postmodernism started. It was those projects in Russia. They built these houses that people actually just left. They just abandoned because it was they were so functional that they wouldn't even have windows. I mean, they tore them down. So that's kind of what people think postmodernism, if it had start, started, was when a government said, this is good enough, you can live in it. And the people said, no, we can't. And they just abandoned it. Right. You know, well, don't you want a free house? Not like that. Right. You know, one size fit all, all approach doesn't work. Right. And it's all about the community you're in, the people you work with, and that's why it's so difficult to do justice work. Yeah. And second of yeah. all, there's no money in it, right. so nobody wants to do it. Right. Yeah. And, and the word that I that keeps crossing my mind when you guys share that story is differentiate. Um, and so, you know, I used to do uh, mission trips in Jamaica, right? Really tough place to do a mission trip. And um, when we would go there, I would go there with some ladies who worked for the Mayo Clinic. They were nurses, they worked for the Mayo Clinic, and we were going to work in an orphanage of toddlers. Two orphanages. One was toddlers, the other one was uh, young adults <coughs> who were handicapped, and their life expectancy probably wouldn't go past 24 if they were lucky to make it. Yeah. When we were in the toddler place, uh, these women would work with the kids, uh, and, and, and they would brush up against the, um, the staff that was at the orphanage. And, of course, the staff at the orphanage is black, and the kids are black. This is in the Caribbean, and, and they got along well. They, they loved them. But when we got back, you would hear the criticism that they would have about how things were ran, Right. And the thing about it was, is when these women came in and, and went and worked with these kids, uh, they were allowed, the women who were there, allowed them to come in and almost do what they please, not quite, still show them what the restrictions were and, and the steps and this is how we do things. And sometimes you can see the frustrations uh, on, on both sides or, or particularly on the white side from time to time would, would experience the lack, you know, there. But then one night they were talking about, ah, this isn't good and this isn't good. And, and I questioned them and I asked them, well, how would you feel if they came to the Mayo Clinic and they took over and ran things for a little while, right? Well, it's not going to happen, <laughs> right? Uh, over our dead bodies. Uh, are we going to let you come in and just walk around and do what we came to your place to do? Uh, if you stayed there in that environment, in that cultural context, which is outside of there, just like yours just being in the urban community is outside of the suburbs, uh, you'd find it difficult to work with lack or, or difficult to work with uh, lower expectations or different expectations or things like that that people don't consider when they come and they engage those communities. Yeah, we get um, all the nursing <coughs> students from a community college. They all come in and do a, do a lunch service with us. So they help us with our, you know, do a whole lunch service. So people come in for free lunch. We feed around 130 to 200 people a day. And we interact with them as much as possible. You've done it before. Have you done it, Aaron? Not yet. Uh, Angela has, obviously. Um, but it's a, a lot of them, they just can't relate. But then when they sit down and eat a meal with somebody, 
they can start to be like, oh, you're just a person like me. Right. You know, yeah. you just have to be homeless. Yeah. You know, you have to be struggling with this thing that I don't struggle with. Right. Yeah, you know? we've we've never done it with with anytime Monday through Friday. Yeah, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. which sucks is I work yep. two every day. Um, which sneak you in? Which I'm off work. next Friday, so that could work. <laughs> um, anyway, but like with our our church, they do, they go to this place called the Family Place, which is a really cool. Church. I've heard of that place. Yeah. Uh, it's a Lutheran church here in St. Paul, right on the edge of downtown, and they do that like I think once every other month. And it was so it was so amazing. Like we we come in, we bring all of our own food. Like we'll, we'll like I think we made a spaghetti dinner the time we helped out. Like so, our, the church bought all the food. We came in there, made it at the church, and we sat down. And there was like because it's like they live at the church too. Um, it's not like they're at somewhere else. So the, whether it's for like a day or like a week or whatever. And I remember, I don't know, Amanda, where you sat, but I sat down with this son and uh, or with a he was probably a guy in his early 30s and his son who was like six and just sat down and he instantly just started like gushing about everything that was going on. He's like, I moved up here to be with, you know, my baby mama and she just kicked me to the curb and I don't want me with with her anymore didn't want the kid he's like I don't know what to do he's like I'm from Chicago and just hearing the story and it's like everything that I was ever taught like prepared for in church and seminary was like this is this is what it's about you know it's it's real and like the before we kind of had like a little briefing before um beforehand I remember the guy who runs the the place um, the food shelf there at the family place was like what you see in you know mass media what you see with people standing on the corner begging for food that's like less than one percent of the people who are actually homeless most homeless people aren't out there begging they're wanting to provide for their families they just can't for whatever reason a layoff a disability whatever it could be and so I mean kudos to you guys for what you're doing and seeing that for the community, but something we can all do. Um, we can keep talking about that forever. Um, Eric, I, I have a shoot off. Shoot Wait, off. Just, just, it's just real quick. Go for it. Well, maybe not. But uh, Justin, with you specifically, I'm, I'm curious. We're talking about uh, with like um, the Ten Commandments and 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 the. The application of the practical application of the first commandment, like you're talking about and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think is that so valid because a divine sky man? As a, it, it, you, your words. That's my term that I that I coined a few episodes ago. But mm-hmm. because because a god uh, made this rule up, is that why it's so so potent and important, or is it just because it works and it's observable and it's just how how things how things happen in this world? Hmm. So you're you're what I'm, just so I'm making sure I'm uh-huh. understanding. So you're asking, was it created because God just created it? Or yeah. did God decide that was important, or, or did did people kind of did, observe it and it's like, okay, well then we can call this divine because it's it's universally applicable. Well, I mean, I think this kind of just my view of kind of across the board with a lot of the biblical passages and laws. I guess mm-hmm. if you have, I mean, it's either to me, it's either divine. Mm-hmm. Or or it's not, okay. um, and and I think because all of humanity struggles with the Ten Commandments, okay. it's proof to me 
because the Bible says that God's consciousness or God's knowledge is on the heart of every person. Okay. So, for example, I think most of us will all agree, hey, we don't, we shouldn't kill people. Right, yeah. We shouldn't, that's still, we shouldn't, I mean, that's yeah. across the board. Uh-huh. Most, most religious groups all agree with that, and do, but none of us practice it. So mm-hmm. Christ comes in and actually takes it a step further and was like, hey, you know, if you have hate in your heart, you've murdered somebody. Right, right. And me personally, I was like struggling with that last year, big time, huh. to the point where like I was restless. I couldn't sleep. I looked over at my wife, and I'm like, I have legitimate hate in my heart. I think I could kill this person, and I could really care less if I went to hell or if I went to jail. Like I, I literally felt it, and like all this scripture was coming up. I like, and I told this to Brian. I'm like, all of last last year 2018 January I basically read the whole New Testament like out loud to my to Ava and to to my daughter because I was home watching them and I'm just was so surprised how many references in the New Testament were like about the law the Ten Commandments right and I'm just like oh crap like I'm feeling at this all the time that's why I need grace that's Mm -hmm. why I need mercy and you know what I shame on me for thinking that um um, your sin or your struggle mm-hmm. is worse than mine when I know that I'm like broken. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think proof that we all struggle with it uh-huh. is proof that we need the divine right. to acknowledge that it's an issue and that uh-huh. that, that grace and that forgiveness um, you know that we need it. Yeah. Do you think do you think that it's you're messing up because you're pissing off a dad in the sky or because you're just being a shitty person? Because I'm being a shitty person. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Ask him the answer. Justin actually swore. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, that was me. I don't make yeah, that, yeah, that, that was me. Well, I mean, for <laughs> Joshua told him I mean, to say it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. agree with, all, with your kids. <laughs> you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not pissed off that my kid doesn't listen to me. Uh-huh. It's kind of like Jesus with Peter. He's like, I love right, him unconditionally. Right, right, yeah. My kid might not comprehend that. Uh-huh. Like, my daughter's 16, or will be 16. I'm like, you, Jeez. you don't... <laughs> Like unconditional love, like you, you love dad because I give you twenty dollars every you know we can take you to Starbucks. Like I mean, she loves right, me, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the way to her heart and you is know, Starbucks. I mean, since you've had Ava, like your like your heart literally grows for another human being. It's just it, the yeah, it is thing. weird being a parent in that whole. I'm not going to go into specifics, but even saying to like Amanda, like I remember. Like when you were pregnant with her and just the love that you have and now seeing her like she's in her terrible twos or whatever you want to call it which is sometimes a little rough one and a half she's one and a half going four. on 15 yeah three or yeah. four she's two yeah. going yeah wait till she becomes a she freenic. runs yeah. out of the room I heard that <laughs> yeah they're telling exactly. you no back yeah <laughs> Eric um, you had a couple questions uh, maybe because we could go on yeah why well, doesn't make one comment um, the question you just asked Caleb yeah. is one that people have been asking for millennia like the um, ancient Greeks I don't remember who it was maybe you can help me Josh but there was like a question like a question that was basically is goodness good because God says it is mm-hmm. or does God say it's good and so that's what makes it right. good yeah, so like what's <laughs> what's the direction I, hey, I, I actually have some thoughts on this that I wrote down today. Because you guys mentioned wow. me kind of Nito on the first episode. So kind of talking about morality or the law, for example, Do right? Yeah. And what is good and what's not good. So I think on a human level, most of humanity, just most of humanity, we, agree, we don't kill people. Like, that's terrible. Bad consequences, stealing, whatever. And, and I mean, even yep. saying, you know what, the Bible is... 
fable or a myth or this is in the Bible, God must be wanting people to die and kill. It's like, the, I feel like Quran, all of it, I mean, a lot of that's written his, for historical purposes. It's not like God's like, oh, this is great news that they're all killing people. Mm-hmm. It's showing the brokenness of humanity mm-hmm. and how he still can work work through people. So, um, so one of the things I wrote down is like, it, the question isn't about can people who don't know the Bible or find inspiration from that um, be good people or not? Because I think everybody would... I know people who never have gone to church and I think are more righteous than I am in terms of how they treat one another. But to me, it's like... um, uh, So, can a person be good? Yes, but they are only living beyond what their own metaphysical assumptions are. So, my question is... For example, how do you adjudicate between two different people who maybe aren't claiming God as like the authoritative like mm-hmm. thing? How are you? How are you then deciding how their peace or how their goodness? Because if you're just saying we should all just be good, then um, we're just in it for survival, mm-hmm. right? We're just in it for my uh, going back to the first thing. Well, we're just in it, my view of good is better than your view of good mm-hmm. type of a thing. Mm-hmm. So how do you then like adjudicate? What's the difference between? Um, somebody's framework who thinks their goodness is better than your goodness and then how do you reconcile that? And I mean a prime example of that is the Middle East. I mean here you got half brothers who've been fighting for 5,000 years and really it's their pride and unforgiveness that's making no reconciliation whatsoever. They both have the law. They both claim they have the same Father Abraham and the same God and all that but there's still who whose view of peace is better? You know and if we're Christ followers, he hate you know, following Christ is is a hard thing. It's not an inspirational thing. He calls us to die to ourselves. So with one of Brian's questions, what could the church eradicate? I think it should eradicate me. Hmm. You know, I don't think my job is to be like, Oh, you're a sinner going to hell, stop doing this, stop doing that. It should be like, Hey Justin, what are you doing that if if I don't know who said it, but who like present yourself as a living sacrifice, mm. right? So what am I? What am I supposed to be sacrificing? My pride, my lust, all this kind of stuff. So if I'm not sacrificing that daily, I mean, a lot of us go, "Oh, we did that as a little kid." You know, I got baptized. I did this, but I think it's a daily thing, you know. And so dying to self to to lift you up, whether I agree with you or not, I think is the ultimate calling for mm. us. And, That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I like that you came with notes. Yeah. Well, my I have to that's write it legit. down because that's that's legit, legit, it, when it comes that's to mind. Nice. You know when you come to a podcast and you have notes that you're legit, you're going to throw down? What are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> 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 We're unprepared compared to Justin. Come on. No. I do, yeah. So Justin and Troy have kind of been going back and forth with some of the questions because I did email them. Um, so we, we can do that, but Eric brought up some good questions he sent to kind of our, our group text. Maybe just kind of throwing one out if you want, because like you had texted the group um, on a text saying like these are some of the things that I wrestled with or mm-hmm. dealt with with deconstruction, and I thought they were good. Um, some of them I resonated with, but maybe just throw that out to Troy and Justin to see, you know, what they think about it, and you know, we can continue the conversation that way too. Um, we could do. I mean, we sort of touched on it a little bit about, but like literal historicity of Old Testament stories. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we have to rehash maybe not that, that yeah. mm-hmm. as interesting as it could be. Um, That's another whole podcast right there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You've done like three right. of that already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, my thoughts were specifically like creation story and the flood, and like the the history of of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but another one that, and this is one I don't think I mentioned, but like vi- like God divine violence in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. uh, and also like predestination are a couple of things that I struggled with a lot that kind of precipitated some some deconstruction, reconstruction, kind of like reframing of my mm-hmm. paradigm that I grew up with. So um, I think that's should we take should we take a group vote if we want to do divine just divine violence or predestination? I like predestination. I feel like you kind of brushed violence. Predestination, that's a can that's of worms. A big, that's a big can of worms. I think the first thing I would say is that's um, Predestination does not necessarily appear in the biblical script. It's a theological observation made later by others. And theology is just people talking about God. It has nothing to do with necessarily our faith or the scriptures. Because um, a lot of times theologians speak for God when they ought not. And so that's why we get so many... I mean, we never intend to do the things we do. Like Martin Luther never intended to start the Protestant church. Mm-hmm. You know, He wanted to remain one thing. He didn't want to start something new. You wanted to reform the church. Yeah, system. but often what we, we, we don't get what we want. <laughs> so um, just like uh, Jesus probably didn't intend to start a new religion. Keep up Rolling um, Stones song. Okay. Well, I, I heard a professor at seminary once say that Jesus was actually true Israel. Like he was like the truest Jewish person that you could ever be. And I think you're right. I think like if he was still walking around, we'd all be wearing yarmulkes and be practicing still some of the, like, you know, the old no traditions and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff because he was still fully Jewish. And yeah. actually, I worked at a nursing home for nine years, Shalom Home Nursing Home. And I'll tell you, as a growing up a Christian and then seeing those holidays and seeing, um, I mean, they end every service basically taking communion, you know, and it's just like it really made those holidays like I feel like it would enrich Christianity so much more if we didn't separate ourselves so much from some of that historical Judaism. Well, I bet there's a lot of Christians that if you said, you know, Jesus was a Jew, they'd be like, uh-uh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was oh, the yeah. first follower of Christ. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Christ was the first follower yeah. of Christ. Yeah. I'm sure there is. Well, it's, it's just yeah. like Buddhism. I mean, Buddha wasn't like, I'm a meist. Right. Yeah. Just, you know, I, I love me. I love me. I, I feel like lots of people are me. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the first Before we get on a rabbit hole, which I, I want to keep going, we're at 55 minutes. We can keep going. I'm fine with it. I just want to be respectful of everyone's time. Um, I have cut off time. I was thinking about 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I don't know if you guys want to. Should we do predestination for a little bit? Well, can I touch on something that Eric said? Yeah, I just want to make sure ahead. that we have time to kind of do our recommendations. Yeah. Kind of even, even if they need to leave, we can just do the recommendations. Yeah, yeah. Because right. right. I won't do any either. For, we, can, yeah. we can pause and then, yeah. you know, whatever. That's the great yeah. thing. Then you guys can talk about what you really think about. No. <laughs> no, this is great. 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 This is a great conversation. When do you post it, by the way? No. Less than a week. Oh, for sure. But I do, if we have time, I know I've been... Oh, I, I talk way too much all the time. But uh, I do have a question about inclusivism for you guys, because I feel like we've kind of brushed on that too, but, but if we don't have time for it. Well, let's do predestination first, and then... Yeah. Or, well, let's let Troy say Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Before we jump to predestination, I, I wanted to say uh, the um, the piece that you took prior to that about the flood mm-hmm. and violence, uh, um, 
it, it's funny that uh, you brought those two up because of how closely associated those two are. Uh, uh, when it comes to violence in the flood, uh, we actually get to Deuteronomy and Joshua, and we get to, uh, um, uh, what's the word, xenophobiaism. Uh, we don't want to be affected by outside cultures, and mm-hmm. the reason why we don't want to be out- affected by outside cultures is because what we don't realize is how much of our own history is actually fabricated. Meaning, why was there so much violence and why was there a flood? Well, in order to seek those things out, you'd have to get an extra biblical book called the Book of Enoch, uh, which, by the way, half the New Testament authors quote Enoch all the way through, meaning that their image of the Messiah and what they learned on salvation history came from Enoch, but it's not something that we found authoritative, mm-hmm. but the authors of the New Testament did. Mm-hmm. That's another story for oh. another night. Mm-hmm. Have me over. I'd love to all about that. Open invite. And the fallen angels and, and how that transgressed and why it was necessary. Preaching, Troy. Yeah. Preaching. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a Nephilim yeah. in there, too, right? That's yeah. It's yeah. all about the Nephilim. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So. Uh, predestination, what do we want to do with that real quick? The first thing I would say about it is it, it's almost like a Christian version of nihilism. <laughs> um, where you can take like I think it's been used against you almost it's like well it doesn't really matter what you choose you're either gonna be you know uh, in heaven or damned and everything between is done for you so why do anything like so it's a Calvinist kind of well it is Calvinist yeah but I mean it, it feels like the first nihilist was like but I'm a Christian predestination <laughs> and you're like, what? Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of yeah. how I feel about predestination, just just to start. Mm. So not to talk about the deep theological seeds of it, but that's how it feels to me as an outsider mm-hmm. looking in, because yeah. that was never part of my upbringing as a Catholic. I only got it when I made friends with a guy in uh, undergrad in the biblical and theological studies of Bethel, who was a reformed guy who was totally about predestination. Sure. And I was like, it just seems so unjustifiable to yeah. say that it doesn't matter what you choose. I mean, part of it I can see how it's comforting, right. but for someone who's not hasn't been gr- grown up in predestination, it seems terrifying to me. Sure. It feels like someone's made all your decisions for you, and at the end you'll see where you're going to end up, but right. you won't know. Right. And so it just feels like a terrifying. It almost feels like you have Alzheimer's your whole life, right. and then you die. Right, right. <laughs> and so it, that's how it, I feel like that's when theology can be used as violence against someone. Because um, I think when predestination was, in, like what it was intended to do was comfort you because the world's so chaotic and saying, no, there's someone looking out for you. All of these things that you think are bad, kind of like we talked about earlier with Job and the suffering. Why am I still suffering when there's a loving God? Mm. Predestination, it's like all these terrible things might happen, but it's okay. Something's got you, so it's like making sense of a chaotic world. So yeah. I can see how someone would think that was comforting, yeah. but to other people, like almost everyone's dream is someone else's nightmare. Right? You know, yeah. like I wish I were successful and in front of people and like talking. And someone's like, "That sounds awful. I don't want people <laughs> right. to even look at me." Right? You know? Yeah. Um, That's like me when people are like, "I wish I was famous." I'm like, "That sounds like a living nightmare to me." Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That seriously. that's how. Right. Seriously, that's, yeah. that's just what I wanted to say yeah. to start with that. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good place to start. Uh, and one thing that we shouldn't be afraid to ask ourselves is we shouldn't be afraid to ask ourselves how fucking real is the Bible, okay? And, and what we mean by that is, is how real would it be if I say to you guys, predestination, and we only have the misrepresentation of predestination, right? And then we have our own opinions and we draw confusion, but, like, let's look at its claim. 
uh, the claim that predestination is making is it's making the claim that there's going to be some people who aren't going to get it, right? And so earlier we started out with uh, talking about the canon, divine revelation, and, and I can testify that I'm one who opens those books and I feel like I'm divinely inspired by something. But I also testified that there are people who read it and it's nothing but an ancient document to them. They're going to fall asleep and nothing penetrates their soul, right? And so I think if we get the misrepresentation of predestination, but we also got a huge misrepresentation of Christianity, uh, I think that there's a good chance that you might find out that true Christianity is more ruthless than, it, than, than we present it, right? And so let's ask ourselves the questions, okay? What if predestination means I'm saved, you're fucked, right? Uh, we don't want to admit that. Uh, nobody wants to say that in the right mind. I certainly don't want to say it. We, we, we want to sell Christianity as something that is available to all. Uh, all you have to do is come in and to believe those things. But we overlook scriptures in the New Testament that says no one can come to the Son unless he's led by the Father. All right? And so what we want to do is we want to set up missionaries in every place because we want to assimilate people to be like ourselves because we hate uh, differentiation. But what if it was a fact that there are people whose names weren't written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and I can explain this beautiful gospel to them over and over and over again. They're not going to grasp it. They're not going to believe it. They're not going to take it in. That's why I say that the gospel and Christianity is not objective truth. I believe what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, the 13th chapter, right after all the stuff that we sing at the weddings, yeah. about the love stuff, okay, right after that, Paul says, I see through a mirror now dimly lit. Uh, but when the pure comes, when the truth comes, then I will know as I ought to know. But it's only at that time where I'm going to know perfection. Mm-hmm. We think that we have that perfection now. I think that perfection is impossible to have while we are still associated and tied to our flesh. Right, mm-hmm. and so where do I find predestination? I find it in 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 both of the Peters, First Peter, Second Peter. I find it in Romans, and I find it definitely in Revelation. In Revelations, it's using the the imagery of the Lamb's Book of Life, uh, which it pulls from Daniel, right? And so I can only share this about my own testimony: is it was definitely in me without people doing a lot of work. That doesn't mean that, because I believe that I was predestined, that I can make a doctrine out of it. Uh, um, that, that doesn't mean that I can still guarantee you that I have salvation. I haven't died yet. It's still a hope. All right? uh, I haven't been there and back to tell you that it's true. But I can tell you that it didn't take a whole lot for me to believe once somebody turned on the light switch. It was as though that it was already there. And there might be some other people who struggle with it and struggle with it and struggle with it, I'm not the person who wants it and says, I don't believe this, or I haven't seen God work in my life the way that you've described. Or if I say, if you tell me to have more faith, have more faith, have more faith, I am praying or I am having faith and things still aren't working. I wish we would have left room for that human reality with, God, with the relationship with God. Because that's what the word Israel comes from, to struggle with God. Mm-hmm. And the human reality is a struggle with God. Now, now that I confess that I'm predestined, I'm still fucked every now and then. All right? Quite, fact, quite often, uh, to the listeners out there, I hope the language isn't too hard. 
I'm still screwed by my choices. I'm still screwed by the choices of the people who came before me. I'm still screwed by living in a in a, uh, by uh, getting a secondhand start from being a, a one of the uh, races that, uh, that wasn't lifted up earlier in the United States. I'm not a victim, but I but it's real uh, in my life and in this situation. Poverty was real in my life. Drug addiction was real. Uh, in my life, I might say that I was predestined, but it didn't rescue me from real life. Right. Well, two mm-hmm. things I would say from that right away is like I love what you talked about. Most of us are just stumbling around in the dark, yeah. and once in a while, someone turns on the light. Right. And mm-hmm. I really like that. Mm-hmm. And the I mean, and I agree with almost everything you said. But the one dangerous thing I think you said is true Christian. Mm-hmm. Like I hear that a lot, mm-hmm. and that kind of talks back to what we said before. Like if you saw what I saw, right. you'd be like me. Right. You know, right, right. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I know you didn't really mean no, it. No, no, but I hear you. Um, I see that now. But, Thank yeah, you. Because yeah. uh, we had a conversation with um, a couple of friends of ours, and they described their experience of Christianity to us. And we were pretty apologetic. Like, well, I wish no one would have said that to you. But just by saying, they're, well, they weren't true Christians, that doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Right, know, it's right. Like, it's, it's like the Fred Phelps Church. Sure, you know, like they believe that they're the true Christians, and right. most of us are like, yeah, they're but they're crazy. Right, but there are large segments of mainline denominations who will discriminate pretty hard on certain aspects of society. People mm-hmm. who are just people yeah. who are just doing life. Right, you know, who, I mean, that's the situation they're in. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think that term, like the true Christian term, is is really hard. Because yeah. I used to, I used to kind of think that thing too. Because you know, you spend so much time studying the Bible, and you start like getting to know the Gospels. You almost feel like you're starting to like almost get to know Jesus, like he's actually one of your buddies. Certainly. You know, and then you're like, why don't other people care? Why sure. don't other people help other people? Why don't other people do this? And so you, you know, and I think that's a part of that's good. You yeah. know, like you reorient to yourself, be like, I should be a better person, mm-hmm. right. you know, because of Jesus. And sure. I should be doing these things because of the, the scriptures that mean a lot to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to like throw that term in true Christian, it's like, man, it's dangerous. You yeah, know? yeah. And let me be clear. I'm not a true Christian. I hate the word Christian. I love the word believer. Uh, uh, the uh, connotation that's added to the word uh, Christian, just, it means so many negative things for my own personal life. Uh, mm-hmm. and just... Uh, it, it means. I think uh, that resonates a lot with people. Yeah, too, yeah. It, it, it can uh, denote someone who who is not tolerant, uh, someone who talks about loving people but doesn't, uh, and someone who could uh, and, and lacks the ability to differentiate. Right. Uh, for example, uh, two examples I want to pop up here. Then I, I won't talk as much anymore. I promise. <laughs> uh, you know, take the the question you asked me earlier about the Quran being divinely inspired. If my Muslim friend says that the Quran is divinely inspired, what right does my word have to be more than his word? Mm, right? Absolutely. Okay, that, that's, and so, but if you're, the Christian approach with that would be, uh, no, my way is the truth and the way, and, and so you don't have my way, or because your book denies Christ, which is where I draw the line with the Quran, uh, that it's, it's something else that. And so when we get back to the uh, uh, predestination, predestination discussion, if you go to one of the passages that wraps it up for me is Hebrews four six or Hebrews six four, and I think it's I think it's Hebrews six four. I get the numbers flip flop sometimes. And in Hebrews six four, it talks about to those who have turned away from the faith can never be restored. All right, but it doesn't say those who turn away from the faith can never be restored. 
It said to those who have truly tasted it, those who have truly been blessed by it, those who have truly felt the grace of God, if they turn away from the faith, they can never be uh, uh, restored. Uh, there's a word that's used, uh, a religious word that's better, uh, not reconciled, uh, restored, uh, something. And, and so a lot of people have, there's been a lot of ink spilt on that, right? To me, that passage points to predestination. Because we live in the United States of America where there's nominal experiences of Christianity. It's unfortunate. But it's where we live. It's where we come from. It's what we're raised in. And so you have a lot of people who are going to Christian Christmas shows because they're in America. They're going to church on Sunday because they live in America. They're going to the liquor store on Saturday and the church on Sunday because they live in America. It's the American way. It's what we do. Unfortunately, you don't always get an experience with God like that. Do I need to be a junkie to have an experience with God? I hope not. You may not live through it. Do I have to be an alcoholic to live through it? I hope not. Do I have to be a prostitute? I hope not, which is some of the things that the New Testament highlights, right? But I do believe that there are, and I try to navigate away from your phrase, only to write into a harsher one. Those of us, (laughs) right? And and so your point is is definitely fleshed out well uh, there. But I, but I do believe uh, that the experience to engage true spirit, all right, makes it impossible for one to turn away from the only road of salvation. Now, if that Bible passage is true, a person would say, hey, what about all the dozens and the hundreds that turned away from it? Uh, this, read this, reread the scripture. It says, to those who have truly tasted the blessings of the spirit, Consequently, I don't think that everybody has. They're not less Christian. They're not less believers. It doesn't mean that they have the Christ, uh, don't have the Christ. But I think that that passage uh, supports the notion of predestination, that there are going to be some who are, who are going to have it, and it's going to require much less uh, for them uh, to have it. And in fact, they're going to have it, and they're going to make mistakes in life, and they're going to be lifted up. They're going to make bad choices in life, and they're going to survive. They're going to be blessed in life. I hate it when the Pentecostal church calls it favor, because I don't like to think of God as having favor for one person over another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think that the scriptures uh, point us to a predestined uh, people of God uh, who was chosen from the beginning. And the book of Revelation, I think, confirms it when it says, those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life from the beginning. So but what? Go ahead, but Gary. what that? How is that different than having favor? Yeah. Uh, 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 oh yeah. I, I, I must share with you the context of favor that I come from. I I came from the Pentecostal world, and, and favor meant that I got blessed with a new car, and you didn't. Our, oh, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. It was prosperity, prosperity uh, yeah, sure. associated. Yeah. Um, but, but your terms of favor, I can hear where you're coming from. I yeah. Because <laughs> if if someone from before the beginning of time was predestined to go to heaven mm-hmm. and someone before the beginning of time was predestined to go to hell mm-hmm. that they sure created? as hell looks like favor to me yeah and can I add to that on my own belief Eric <laughs> yeah. which is a great point and it's a good point for the listeners to hear and understand the difference of this I don't believe in predestination in terms of hell okay I believe in predestination in terms of who will understand the gospel who, who will believe it uh, not understanding it by mm-hmm. rationale because uh, Bart Ehrman can explain the gospel to you he's not a non-believer Love the guy, right? Um, but not in terms of going to hell. One thing that we didn't teach, Eric, when we taught Christianity in the 70s and the 80s, is we didn't teach that everybody's going to be judged, all right? 
Uh, Ecclesiastes shows that, demonstrates that. Revelation demonstrates it really good, all right? But what? here's where the favor comes in, Eric. The favor comes in where it says, but those of you who are believers have already been judged by the blood, right? And so allegedly, those of us who are believers aren't going to be judged at the end of the time. And those who are not believers, they still stand a chance. Uh, Not only are they judged, but they still stand a chance to repent. And in the end, it says every knee will bow and every head will conf- and every tongue confess that you are God. And so uh, the, the, the approach from predestined, and that's one thing, like let's say I said I'm a Republican, which I am, all right? I'm a Reformed Republican. You'd say, hey, if you're a Republican, how can you believe this about arithmetic? Something stupid. Yeah. Well, just because I'm a Republican doesn't mean I believe in everything that Republicans believe in. Right. Uh, sure. it, it, it means that uh, there's certain aspects of Republicanism that I lean my propensities are towards the most. Right. Predestination is the same way for me. And so what I dislike when I get into discussions about predestination is when the person says, you mean to tell me that when you walk out that door that God told you to take a left? What do they do? They're using the most extreme illustration mm-hmm. because they think that I'm associated with the dumbest shit on the world. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm not. And so your comments about one person going to hell and one person being chosen to go to heaven, no, for me, predestination means one person understanding who Jesus is and one person struggling with that. Got Thank it. you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, and pardon my ignorance because I'm, I'm just trying to track with exactly what you're saying. So is there or is there not a, a direct one-to-one relationship between understanding who Jesus is, in your mind, <clears throat> between understanding who Jesus is and going to heaven? Like, and that's, I'm, like, you, you've answered most of the questions that I had in my head about, thank you, Angela, about inclusivism, um, and I know, and the, the conversation was obviously predestined to go in that direction, it just, <laughs> <laughs> I like it, <laughs> but, uh, but, but I'm just curious, like, because uh, what, what raised this question in my head initially was, uh, your comments about, um, Islamic scriptures, you know, about the Quran being having divine inspiration, you know, folded in somehow. Right. To what degree? That's a whole other podcast. Sure. Yeah. But uh, but so, is it possible? This is a loaded question. This yes. I don't have time for this. Is it possible <laughs> to <laughs> receive divine inspiration? Let's say through a text that's not exclusively Christian, uh, and still be in favor with this divine force. Call it Allah. Call it God. Call it Yahweh. Skyman. Skyman, thank Sky you. Man. That's that the guy. Uh-huh. You know, got a big swing in one too. Uh-huh. Um, but is it possible, like in your mind, because you keep using terms like uh, like salvation and things like that, so it sounds like you do believe in a in a finite afterlife. And so, do you, is it possible for I guess just to boil it down in the most simplistic terms, do people who do have never heard the name Jesus Christ go to this heaven that that, that you're referring to? Uh, but it, according to my understanding, uh-huh. not, not just on, it, it's real easy when a question is asked like that, if a person is answering from their gut feeling mm-hmm. or what they feel emotionally. Mm-hmm. I know uh, I'm about, simplifying yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but, but I can tell you this, uh, yes, I, I, I do believe that, okay, so uh, my personal opinion is that we're all in heaven, okay, even Hitler, okay, and I'm, I know it's a tough one, that's just my Do you define as a universalist? Do you identify that way? No, I don't identify as a universalist. But you think I, Hitler's in heaven? I, I, I hope everybody goes. Okay. So you're a hopeful universalist. Yeah, I'm a hopeful nice. universalist. That's and and that's the reason nice. why I'm a hopeful universalist is because of my that's for theology. Kyle huh? Kyle Roberts would say that. Yeah, he would, yeah. No, tell Kyle Troy says hello, by the way. 
But the, the reason why I say that is because I look at the world as broken, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if I look at somebody, and, and by the way, we use Hitler because we think of him right. as the supreme guy, evil, yeah. right? Yeah, right? And so I would hope that everybody would go to heaven okay. based upon how broken the world is. Right. When I look at the world brokenness, I say, of course Hitler would do what he uh, did, or of course the KKK would do what they have done. Of course, uh, uh, of course women would be... Uh, taken advantage of and marginalized mm-hmm. and, and things like that yeah, because yeah. of the brokenness. So right. I don't consider myself a, a universalist, uh-huh. but I do consider myself a pluralist. Okay, cool. Very cool. Do you like it too, right? I do. Talking about restoration and things like that. Is Certainly. A pluralist yeah. and a Baptist. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Cool. Um, do we want to stop here just for the sake of time? Um, Sounds good. If I, can, if I can say this, um, maybe I'm speaking for the crowd. <laughs> It would be awesome to have you guys back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, Open door policy. Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was surprised because I thought we were going to have a lot of differences, and I think a lot of us are probably all in, not all in agreement, but, yeah. Anyway. Um, different way of saying things. Di- right? Yeah, different. Yeah, 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 different yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we're a different way of saying things mm-hmm. to stuff that we're all thinking because, yeah. like, some of the stuff you were saying, I was like, yeah, you know, I kind of, I kind of believe that same way, and mm-hmm. I do think sometimes we, we like my mom said this to me the other day when I was hanging out with her, is like Brian, I think you like to hide behind labels, mm-hmm. and 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 like it, part of me was like no 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 no, and then part of me was like well well yeah, but I think we all like to hide behind labels to an extent, like right. whether you're this this mm-hmm. this or this, and I because I think we're comfortable with that, and I think that's fine, <clears throat> but anyway, besides that, I think this was. And I knew we weren't going to go that far into questions because I think it was one question that I had said, and then we kind of pigeonholed, which, which, which was great, yeah. which is what we always do. But um, this is kind of how the sacred collective goes. Um, so always an open door policy. So if you guys ever want to come out, text me, text my brother, uh, let us know. Um, that was great. One thing I do want to say, com- completely unrelated to what we've been talking about, the only person I told about this was Caleb. But uh, we're part of the Screaming Pods Network, um, and Screaming Pods Network, all of us here know, but Troy and Justin don't know, um, we only had started maybe two, three weeks, two, three podcasts in. Yeah, about a month And um, this guy, Sean Dreger, is a great guy. He's out in L.A. He's a Midwest boy. He's from Iowa originally, um, but his family and stuff brought him out to L.A. Um, he's been podcasting for like 10 plus years. He's actually doing like voiceover work now professionally stuff too, but we're actually on his, we're on our own. But then we're also kind of like, what did you merged yeah, with yeah. him? We're post Christian podcasting and screaming. Yeah, pods yes, yes, yes. Post Christian podcasting, which is Caleb and Screaming Pods. Um, so dual, mm-hmm. dual stuff. It's a partnership. Yes, it's, it's a, a loving partnership. partnership. Yes, agreed, one hundred percent. And but he also he has several podcasts that he does um, that. And he doesn't own them, whatever. It's, we're all things, but he's asked us to be on his network for, you know, helping network with him and, and other networks. So there's stuff about, you know, there's stuff like Life After Christianity. He does a lot of, like, horror podcasts because he's into, like, horror music or horror movies. Horror music. Horror music. That would be, that'd be a trip. I was like, there are, like, there are some horror bands. Yeah, I was no. like, no. so he listens to Misfits nonstop. Yeah, horror music. <laughs> Got and, it. And that's the, that's just Or like Coffin uh, Cats or he something. Does, he does. Who I saw live. Um, 
And I have no comment. He has a podcast <laughs> called the Armchair Philosopher, uh, which he's been doing for about five years. And recently, he just ended his uh, season with Jennifer Knapp. If you knew who Jennifer Knapp is, mm-hmm. um, she was really big in the CCM world. She kind of got blacklisted because um, she was a lesbian. Um, he had Michael Gunger on, and Lisa Gunger from Gunger, um, and like they're kind of his walking away from the faith. But I was just tweeting with him recently, and he actually wants Sacred Collective to collaborate with him um, starting next month and maybe a couple times throughout the year because he really likes what we're doing and what kind of what we're uh, what we're seeing and all that stuff. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, that'd be something if that we could if we could work with them because he has more listeners than we do and it's all about networking. So I thought that was really <coughs> cool. I was kind of pulled out of left field. Um, so that's awesome. Um, do we want to do recommendations now or after people leave? I have uh, one recommendation. Yeah. So we'll do in what? seminary. One of my favorite people to quote was Mister Rogers. Huh. Yeah. 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 Have you seen the documentary? I totally want to see I, it. Uh, I recommend watching the documentary because it has a. They, I mean, it basically is this guy' sole mission in life mm. is to love his neighbor as himself. Mm-hmm. That's like yeah. his whole philosophy, mm-hmm. and it and breaks down cool. a lot of the stereotypes of mm-hmm. like, oh, Mister Rogers had tattoos and was in the army. That's why he wore the sweater. Like, just some of these like like fairy tales or some of these rumors that have come up, but. It's a powerful documentary, and mm-hmm. I told my wife, I'm like, holy cow, I think everybody needs to watch this at least once a year to get, like, grounded in just how to treat other people. Oh, it's, a great, it's a great that's thing, nice. so. Uh, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a, this is kind of like a philosophical recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of ju- playing off of something we were talking about earlier about, like, how polarizing and divisive our society is right now. Um, and this conversation, I think, was a really good example of not that. <laughs> and finding, rather than finding differences with other people, finding common ground with other people. Oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. And it kind of goes back to, like, the food shelf thing where, yeah. like, if once you, like, sit down and kind of, like, start talking to someone, and it can be in any context, like, if you can start finding commonalities and common ground and see them as a person rather mm-hmm. than just a, an other, mm-hmm. um, that's my recommendation. Because yeah, yeah. I think I think overall we have a lot more in common with each other than we yeah, have. Right. Preach it, Eric. Preach it. Preach. Yeah. Yep. Good but you know, TV sells. Everything sells when we're all divided. Yeah. Right. 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 You like the drama. Politics. And if I can label you as something, then I can fix you or mm. control you, and it's just Truth. absolutely. Maybe we should just have a group hug after this. Yeah. 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 Resist. Yeah. Resist. So Mister Rogers would say you Resist. can love anybody once you know their story. Aww. But how many That's of us nice. actually would sit down around the like table that. with somebody who you know is a little different than mm. us? Yeah. yeah. I, For I, sure. I like what you said. I think yeah. there's a lot more. I think the heart of most of us wants that peace or that goodness, mm-hmm. when, wherever you're finding it, yeah. and mm-hmm. to focus on that. And absolutely, that's uh, a really you know. sweet way to wrap, to wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah. Really on that sweet. note, can, can I give a, just a quick meta recommendation? This is real quick. Cool. I was going to say uh, I didn't even tell you this yet, Brian. I was going to text you, but my phone's broken now. Uh, but uh, I set up a, a concrete date to do a. Thank you, Angela. <laughs> Angela, just for the listener, Angela keeps. Help me out with. We have a lot of people here, and so she's helping me out with the, the computer right now. But uh, um, I set up a concrete date for interviewing uh, Christian Stumlin and Christian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
So that's something to look forward to also. Which, tell them who it is. So that's, uh, it's a really popular Christian podcast. Uh, one of the guys, it, they're both ex-pastors. Um, one of them is, has converted from Protestantism to Catholicism, and one of them is now agnostic. Oh. But they have a lot of really good conversations. And Their podcast is the Drunk Ex-Pastors. Yeah, because they always, they, they drink on the air. They're not always drunk. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing, but they always drink on the air. Uh, and then also... I've been talking to Barry Taylor about doing a third interview for for me and a second one for Sacred Collective and uh, and also messaging Pete Rollins about maybe doing a Skype yeah. interview. Oh, so cool. Pete Rollins might be coming into the city. So yeah, maybe um, you could do it in person. Our, our good awesome. friend Jay Baker uh, is friends with them. So if he does come into the cities, we're going to tour yeah. Snake we're gonna sometime because he was just on tour with him. Rob Bell for crying out loud. Right. Anyway, I think we should pause. It yep, for now. sounds good. A post-Christian production. Ah, there's no sense of comfort.